following podcast was produced by Latter-day Radio, originally broadcast on KLO in Salt Lake City, Utah. For more information, visit latterdayradio.com. Welcome. This is Latter-day Radio on 1430 KLO World Class Talk. I'm Martin Tanner, your host for this segment, along with Greg Girard. Today, our topic is the New Testament, where it came from, when the books were written, and some details about it that you're probably unaware of. Martin and I are not exactly the same age. I've got him by half a generation. And when I was a missionary, we used the old standard six discussions. And we spent most of our time, and I'm talking in the mid-60s, teaching from the New Testament. And then about 1966, uh, President Ezra Taft Benson came and became the mission president of the European Mission. And he said, brethren, we need to start talking, teaching out of the Book of Mormon, which we did. And since that time, uh, more, more missionary discussions, uh, more content in the missionary discussions, have scriptures uh, from the Book of Mormon. As a result, I think maybe today we're not as familiar with the New Testament as they were in olden times. So, Martin, how is the New Testament different from the modern scriptures that we as Latter-day Saints use frequently? Well, it's, it's very different. Of, of course, uh, the, the, the Book of Mormon, Latter-day Saints believe, was from the New World, and it was essentially translated once from the time it was written according to LDS belief into more or less modern-day English, at least modern-day English of the 1830s. The New Testament, on the other hand, has gone through a series of translations, and its, um, its contents are, are quite different in many, many ways from uh, the Book of Mormon. If you talk about the Book of Mormon, the time frame is lengthy, 600 B.C. to 400 A.D. All of the New Testament books were easily written within a hundred year period and probably less than that. And so there's a very, very different sense. The subject matter is very different as well. One difference between the Book of Mormon and the New Testament, I think, is the fact that we had the benefit of Mormon and Moroni who assembled these records, these ancient records from their people. And Martin, who do we have On the New Testament side, on the other side of the world, who assembled the New Testament, and how is that different from how from what we have in the Book of Mormon? It's it's a very different pattern, Greg. We have, uh, according to LDS theology, one set of plates. So so you have documents written on metal plates, and then a translation uh, directly into English. And the New Testament was very different. Although all of the early manuscripts of the New Testament that we have are written 
in Greek. They may be based on some earlier unknown documents, at least a few of them that were written in Aramaic. But by and large, the New Testament was written in Greek. And it was quite well uh, transmitted to to us in, in many ways. For example, there are almost 6,000 currently known manuscripts of either all or a portion of, of the New Testament. That's an incredible thing. I mean, there's nothing even close if you took... Uh, made a comparison between the New Testament and any other book during that era or earlier or even within a few centuries later. You wouldn't find anything that has even 5% of that volume. Even 1% would, would be phenomenal. And so the New Testament Christians were very careful in transmitting the New Testament. On the other hand, Greg... There are more variations in the wording of those manuscripts of the New Testament than there are words in the New Testament. And that really says something. Yes. Now, now most of them are minor, but there are quite dramatic differences in some places that make a difference in theology. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Martin is delving into his large Alexandria-like library from the ancient world. I wish you could all see it. <laughs> uh, th- that's slightly overstated, but I do have some, some fun things here. When we um, took our break there to tell everybody who we are and what we're talking about, we, we were talking about how many variations there are in the New Testament documents. And there are a lot of people who like to downplay that and say God carefully and completely transmitted the New Testament so we have it in a nearly perfect way. And that's not true. The oldest nearly complete, I say nearly complete because it has a few things missing, Um, New Testament that we have is Codex Vaticanus, and it's a fabulous book. The other early, early one we have is Codex Sinaiticus, named because it was found in uh, St. Catherine's Monastery at the base of of Mount Sinai. Dates to about 330 AD. So you have a book that is almost complete, of the New Testament, and it has, it's about 300 years after the time of Christ. And Codex Vaticanus is, is a little earlier, but about the same time frame. There is a statement that's written in the margin of that book. And I'm pointing to it now, but you're you on the radio, you can't see it. That's right. But the Codex Vaticanus has three columns written in Greek. And in between the first two columns... On one of the pages, very close to the beginning, a loose translation in English would be, fool and knave, leave the original text alone. Don't change it. And that was meant as some kind of a stern warning to whoever the next copyist was. Because, of course, back then they didn't have a printing press, so you want a new... uh, 
a new copy of the New Testament? Well, you hire a scribe. And the scribes would go through and write down the whole New Testament. I mean, it, few people could afford to have a New Testament. Uh, let me just add this, Martin, too. I just finished a really interesting book called Gutenberg's Apprentice. And one of Gutenberg's, uh, well, the apprentice, the fellow, the young man that came in who uh, was uh, Gutenberg's partner's nephew, and these were real people, used to work as a scribe. And they would have like a classroom. And they would dictate... Let's say in the beginning, uh, the earth was void and without form. There'd be 20 or 30 scribes taking dictation and writing this in their own copies of uh, the Bible, of the New or the Old Testament. And so that was how they made more than one copy at once, was with a room full of scribes. That's, that's exactly right. It looked a little bit like the... Uh um, the starving artist painters, you wonder how you can buy a, a, a piece of artwork for 70 bucks. It's because the guy has 10 easels sitting around him and he paints the tree on all 10 of them at the same time. So you get 10 paintings about the, the same time that you could do one. But the, the real point here is that it was well known that the copyist would change the text. And so in the oldest known complete Bible that we have, you have this statement to the later copyist, just leave it alone. In modern day English, it would be, you, you fool, you jerk, you idiot, don't change the text. Leave the original reading alone. Don't editorialize, right? Correct. Don't change things. And later on, I'll, I'll get to a number of things that were literally added to the Bible, by later copyists that we now believe are part of the New Testament that, that really aren't. As a matter of fact, you know what? I, let's talk about this right now. Um, th th this is kind of an important is issue. Here, here, are, here are just some of the changes that, that have happened to the Bible. Um, Maybe we can start off with the verses that are not really real. There, there's one in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 that says, Let the women learn in silence and with all subjugation. I suffer not women to teach, blah, 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 blah. The gist of it is women aren't supposed to uh, teach or talk in church. And there's another one in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33-36 that literally says, let your women keep silent in the churches. There are no early manuscripts that have this. These were added in the 3rd century by the priests because they didn't want to lose authority to women in, in the churches. And they had a specific idea about what women were supposed to do. And that's why we believe the Bible is the word of God as far as it's translated correctly. So sure. This is where these things sneak in, is what you're telling me. Exactly. And here, here's another example. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. The gist of it is he's comparing 
comparing the word of God to, to milk for a newborn baby. Um, you have the, the milk of the word of God, and then you grow. Well, all the early manuscripts say, be like newborn, newborn babies, have your spiritual milk so that you will grow and be saved. So the last part of that, grow into salvation or grow and be saved, has just been deleted in many, many new, um, many, many new v- translations of the Bible. And 1611 King James is one of those as well. When we come back, more about that uh, and, and why. I'm Martin Tanner. Greg Gerard's with me. This is Latter-day Radio on KLO 1430 World Class Talk. Latter-day Radio is the originator of this faith-affirming podcast. If you like it or have comments or requests, send us an email at latterdayradio.com. Welcome back to Latter-day Radio here on 1430 KLO World Class Talk at the intersection of faith and freedom. We have the freedom to read the Bible and to study it and to discuss it. And that is something that we can almost look back to the New Testament as the first place where Christ said, if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And the last hour, of course, we were talking about the New Testament. And Martin has uh, some more... uh, instruction to give us on how the New Testament came to be. It wasn't compiled by a publisher or by a prophet. So, uh, Martin, how is it that we have a New Testament today? The, the New Testament is a compilation of certain books, not all books, that were prepared and written by the early Christian church. The reason it's not all of the books is because there are a wide variety of New Testament books, uh, New Testament era books rather, that never quite made it into our current version of the New Testament. Many have been many have been lost, uh, others misplaced, or someone said, "I don't want to put this in right now for whatever personal reason." Correct. Th- those are the exact kinds of things. And the controversy about some New Testament books has continued on for hundreds and hundreds of years into the Christian era. For example, Martin Luther, one of the most highly regarded Protestant theologians and scholars, he's, of course, basically responsible for the split off of the Protestant Um, movement from the Catholic Church, he believed that the book of Revelation and uh, the book of James should not be in the New Testament. He didn't like them because they talked so much about works, and he was a 
salvation by faith kind of a guy. He was the only guy. That's right. So th- those are books that, frankly, uh, were some of the later ones that appeared as part of the New Testament. And hence, Martin Luther is right if you're going to have some that are not part of the New Testament that are currently there, you know, maybe those are a few that you'd, that you'd want to question. Uh, others were questioned even earlier than that. We mentioned a, a little bit earlier in our discussions, Greg, that there was a book called The Shepherd of Hermas. A, a guy named right. Hermas wrote a book called The Shepherd. And the reason it didn't make it into the current New Testament canon is because it wasn't closely enough connected with some uh, apostle he wasn't the New a, Testament. He wasn't speaking from a position of authority. Is that what you're saying? Well, he, he, he was. And obviously the New Testament Christians for at least 100 years thought he was. But when there were fights over the canon and the line of what was authoritative and important became more and more rigid, some things got tossed out, and his was was one of those. Could that also include many of these so-called lost gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas and so forth? The Gospel of Thomas is, is a fascinating one and is in a little bit different category. The Gospel of Thomas, for people who aren't familiar with it, was found uh, fairly recently— in uh, 1946, it was actually found before the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Nag Hammadi Library, of which the Gospel of Thomas is a part, is a compilation of early Christian writings that were hidden and then discovered. They were written probably in the 3rd century, and then they were discovered in 1946. And amongst those writings is the Gospel of Thomas, and it's almost universally accepted by New Testament scholars as a book that has authentic sayings of Jesus, many of which are found in the New Testament, and some of which are not. And so if you were to talk to people and say hypothetically, well, God, you know, if we've you think the New Testament canon is closed? They go, yep, yep, we should never include anything else. We're done, we're done, we're done. And then you said something like, well, what about if we found a book and it had words of Christ that had never been published anywhere else before? Should we include something like that? They'd all say their heads and say, yeah yeah maybe we should this. yeah maybe we should that's that sounds really kind of neat well we have found it <laughs> and uh about 25 years ago now there was uh, a group of of scholars c- called the jesus seminar a little bit controversial and and one of their members, uh, Robert Funk, actually published a book called The Five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Thomas, because he thought it ought to be part of the New Testament canon, or at least was worthy to be regarded in the same circles. Of course, that never caught on, and you can't go down to your uh, Christian bookstore and say, where is the section of Bibles and find one that has the Gospel of Thomas? It never happened, but... 
it, it is fascinating that there really are some neat examples and sayings of Christ that are not in there that he probably really said. I mean, we can't ask him to know, but it's it's pretty amazing. Well, the Book of Mormon falls into the same category. Things that Christ didn't say or weren't recorded in the New World, I mean, in the Old World, we can read them in the Book of Mormon. And so... Frankly, that is one of the reasons, I think, why <laughs> why things like the Gospel of Thomas um, receive less credibility, because... They don't want to kick that door open? That's right. They do not want to kick that door open. Here's another example. We, we brought up earlier the Dead Sea Scrolls. People call them the Dead Sea Scrolls, and if you ask a scholar who wrote them, they'll say the people at Qumran or the Qumran community, they're referred to that way. And nobody really talks about them in the way they talked about themselves. They describe themselves as the saints of the last days before the first coming of the Messiah. In other words, they were the Latter-day Saints. And so there's... Up to that point. And so there's, so there's this great little article that cited uh, by Hugh Nibley in one of his older writings that says, you know, we really should be referring to the Qumran community as the Latter-day Saints, but unfortunately a so-called Christian group has already co-opted that title. Oh, shame on us. <laughs> just in case you just joined us, you're listening to Latter-day Radio here on 1430 KLO World Class Talk. And Martin is putting the New Testament back together for us so we can see how it's formed in the first place. And it's a, it's a fun story, Greg. It's really a neat story. So the Gospel of Thomas also realistically is never going to be part of the New Testament canon because in addition to these wonderful sayings of Jesus that have not been published anywhere else, it's got a lot of weird stuff in it too. From an LDS standpoint, we would kind of describe it as authentic things. Mixed with apocryphal stuff? Mixed with stuff that happened after the apostasy was underway. Maybe that's I a see. simple way to say it. So you, so you get these wonderful, authentic sayings of Jesus, and then you start. Then you get to the very end of it, and it says things like, "Well, in order to get to heaven, you got to know that only men can get into heaven. So if women want to get into heaven, then they need to change into a man, and then they can ascend into heaven." You know, it's, it's got all these just oddball, quirky things. It's just straight, you know, you read through it and you go, yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. That's really neat. I've never seen that before. What? Where did that come from? You know, then you read on, it's got some great, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, great. And then where did they ever come up with that kooky thing? What and was this guy smoking? So, something like that. <laughs> and that's, that's the gospel of Thomas in a, in a nutshell. Uh, another interesting question that often comes up is how many different manuscripts of the New Testament do we have? And the answer is well over 5,000. Uh, we've mentioned that before. How early are they? 
Well, some of the earliest known fragments of the New Testament are found in the Oxyrhynchus papyrus collection, and they date probably before 90 AD, so 70, so 80. Almost simultaneous with uh, the apostles alive and Many of the apostles would still have been alive, and this is just 20 or 30 years after, uh, after the time of Christ. I mean, they, they are closer to the time of Christ, sadly, Greg, than you and I are to high school. <laughs> you know, more time has elapsed since you and I were in high school than, than uh, the time uh, and of I've got, And I've got you by 10 years. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, another... another Collection and, and again, these are not complete collections. These are partial uh, manuscripts. There's the Rylands uh, collection of papyri in Manchester, England. And there is one that's part of the Gospel of John that dates to probably even earlier than the Oxyrhynchus papyrus. It, probably 50 or 60 AD, so within probably 10 or 20 years of the time that Jesus was resurrected. So very early on, the Christians were involved in writing Gospels, and it's, it's kind of fascinating. So from, from here, when we come back, Greg, why don't we talk a little bit about why the New Testament books are in the order that we find them. More faith-affirming podcast content from Latter-day Radio coming your way. Stick around. Welcome back to Latter-day Radio here on 1430 KLO World Class Talk, broadcasting from the intersection of faith and freedom. We're finishing up our segment here on the New Testament, and Martin's going to show us how they put it all together. Apparently, it wasn't just random. It was not just random. Before we jump into the actual formation, I thought I'd mention a couple of other things that are probably of interest to everyone, but maybe especially Latter-day Saints here, where we're talking about the Nag Hammadi Library that has the Gospel of Thomas with authentic words of Christ. There is a Gospel of Philip that's part of the Nag Hammadi Library that implies very strongly that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, and there's a Gospel of John that's part of the Nag Hammadi Library that's different from the Gospel of John in the New Testament that talks about a heavenly mother. So all of those things are quite interesting. Yes, for Latter-day Saints especially. Um, Has the Nag Hammadi Library been completely published? Is that yes. available? Yes, you go to Deseret Book today, and I'm sure you can get uh, a copy of the translation. Uh, Robinson is 
the scholar who translated it into English, and you could find it at just about any fine bookstore anywhere, I'm sure, on Amazon or wherever you like. How uh, many books is it? How many pages? If, um, if, if I remember correctly, there are 24 different books that comprise the, the Nag Hammadi Library. I, I should have refreshed my memory on that. Um, that might not be exactly accurate, but it's approximately that size. It's a little smaller than our current New Testament, and some of the things in there are really odd, and some of them, like I mentioned, have some great content. Um, they were written by a group of early Christians that are generally referred to as Gnostics. Uh, oh, G-N-O-S-T-I-C. Correct, and that comes from the Greek word meaning gnosis, uh, which means to know, and they believe they had special secret knowledge that not all Christians did. And frankly, that that whole concept sounds a little bit like um, special knowledge that Latter-day Saints would believe is found in the, in the temple, uh, at least in analogy. There's, and that's where the word agnostic comes from. Uh, correct. <laughs> Not, don't know for sure that you have knowledge, so... Um, the the ag and the gnosis correct absolutely correct another fascinating book that's not in the new testament but was certainly part of the new testament that early christians uh, liked and believed in was found in 1960 at least in part and it's called the secret gospel of mark We've been talking about secrecy and or or as we would call it today it's not secret it's just special Okay. <laughs> I bet, hey, it's secret. You know, some people can't get at it. And that's okay. The end of the book has been lost, but the secret gospel of Mark has information in it that uh, sounds very much to Latter-day Saints, scholars who, who have looked at it, like... Part of the temple endowment. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Uh, This was found by Columbia professor Morton Smith. It was uh, a manuscript that was found in the back of a book at St. Catherine's Monastery that it's at the base of of Mount Sinai and has been around since about the 3rd century AD. And it's just a fascinating book. There's a lot of controversy swirling around it. Some people claim it's a a forgery. I, I just don't see that. I believe it's it's very genuine and authentic. But it's it's a um, fascinating book nonetheless. Is it part of the Nag Hammadi Library or is it something else? Something totally different. Yep. Dif- different uh, location, different provenance. It was found in St. Catherine's Monastery and the Nag Hammadi Library was found hidden in a place in Egypt that was near the little town of Nag Hammadi, hence the name. Okay. So formation of the of the New Testament, Paul's letters, which were the first to be written, even before the Gospels, were probably written somewhere in the range of 40 to 60 uh, A.D. Some scholars think earlier, some later. They were written to specific existing churches that Paul had helped form. And they were all written 
to deal with or to solve a certain problem that had arisen in each one of those different churches or, or branches. And as you read through them, you'll see that they have this, um, this, this common thread. They will say, <clears throat> it's been said that, you know, greetings, this is Paul. And it'll say, it's been said that these things are happening and I'm going to set you straight. And I make an end. (laughs) It's sort of like it says, we love you, but you're a bunch of knuckleheads. Something like that. And it's, they're, they're wonderful letters. Paul was highly regarded. And and the idea is that after a while, each one of these early churches found out that other churches had them. And so they would copy each other's letters until they had a full set of all the things that, that Paul had written, at least that they could gather. The next one that was, almost certainly written, which would be the first of the Gospels, is the Gospel of Mark. It is thought by most scholars to have been written by, and this is according to tradition, uh, by a man named John Mark, who was a missionary companion of the Apostle Peter. Peter would have only spoken Aramaic, And he needed somebody who could help him talk to people in Greek because Greek was the official language of the area. And you'll notice his translator, his translator and missionary companion. So you'll you'll notice that that you've got Mark or Marcus, uh, which is a Greek name. And John's very, very Hebrew name, Johannin. You know, if you went back there and had the right accent, it'd be something like Johanna and Marcus, you know, John Mark. Mm-hmm. And so he was the young guy. And, and he, according to early tradition, wrote what Peter told him about the life of Jesus. And he doesn't mince words. And he says things a little bit differently than the other gospels do. And in one place, he says, Jesus couldn't perform any miracles because of the lack of faith of the people. Then you look at Matthew and you look at Luke and, and you know that they were trying to be a little bit more careful about how they said things. And so they didn't say, well, Jesus couldn't do it. They said Jesus would not do the miracles because of the lack of the faith of the, of the people. And so I, I love Mark because it just flat out says stuff. It says, Jesus got angry and he couldn't do any miracles here. And he did this there. And he, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's got wonderful, wonderful details, fabulous gospel in it also is written in horrible Greek. John Mark, whoever he was, he, he, he could speak Greek, but he wasn't a great writer. Sounds like a modern Mormon missionary somewhere. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's fabulous book but it would definitely not get an A in composition by any uh, English professor or Greek professor in this case. The other Gospels, uh, there's the Synoptic Gospels are the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're called the Synoptic because they have the same content. Almost all of the Gospel of Mark, word for word, is found in Matthew and Luke. That's one of the ways we know it was written first. Because they used that as a, as a, as a, a resource. That's right. That was their jumping off point. So they smoothed over, over a little of the grammar and then added additional information. 
Matthew was written first because it has the genealogy of Christ at the beginning. And as a Jew opened up the New Testament and and looked at, at Matthew, they would see that here's the genealogy of Christ. And as we... In fulfillment of prophecy. In fulfillment of prophecy. But what was fascinating about it is as you look through it, it kind of goes through a circuitous path. And it has some people with, shall we say, a checkered past. Uh, You've got Rahab the harlot in there. You've got others who, you know, let's just say they had a few little problems here. Um, Bathsheba. The point is that somebody who looked at that wouldn't say, oh, how scandalous. They would say, wow, the Christians aren't snobs. They will let anyone into their faith. They're trying to be all-inclusive. So it doesn't matter what your past is. That's the message of Christ's genealogy. They will let anyone in who wants to change their life and conform it to uh, the message of, of God. And it's a wonderful message. And it's a great idea that no matter who you are, what you've done, if you repent and follow Christ, you can be saved. Repentance is possible. For everyone. The Gospel of John was written a little after that. And it was for converting Greek-speaking Gentiles. And then, of course, we had other letters from various other apostles. Jude is is actually, according to tradition, written by Judas, the half-brother of Jesus. And the same for, for James. James was, according to tradition, a half-brother of Jesus as well. And so both of those, even though not written by apostles not by the Apostles James, or certainly not the Apostle Judas, uh, had high regard in the early Christian church. What about the book of Acts? The book of Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. It was, Luke wrote it, correct? Yes. Luke, by tradition, was the physician of uh, the Apostle Paul. He was a skilled writer. The book of Luke is probably the very, very best written. As you go through, you can see that he's very careful in all of his details. And he's writing, as you see at the beginning of his gospel, to a person named Theophilus. If we, if you looked at a contemporary English version, it would say something like, Dear Theophilus, I'm going to tell you all the true things about Jesus because you've read a bunch of nonsense and you've asked me what's real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. And then Acts is a continuation. It's his follow-up letter. I see. This podcast has been produced by Latter Day Radio. Visit latterdayradio.com for more information.